Okay, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Galatians. I'm going to pick up on the theme we've been talking about this morning, and that is the work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection by which he validated his most important work on the cross. This morning I realized that there are, in this room, two kinds of people. There are people who believe in God, uh, and there are people who don't believe in God. Uh, I'm going to guess in this kind of a setting that the number of people who don't believe in God is probably smaller than the group of those that do. Some, I realize, are in that ambivalent place, somewhat agnostic, not sure whether they accept the notion of belief in God. Uh, And some who would say this morning, you know what, I definitely believe in God. Now, this morning, my desire is to do this. I want to address those of you this morning who at least have at some level a belief in God. And I believe that that group of people can be broken into two segments also. Amongst the group of those who believe in God, there are people who believe that a relationship with God is found on the basis of one's personal performance. Meaning my capacity to obey the law of God, to do things that please God, has a deep effect on whether or not I have a personal relationship with God. And I believe that group of individuals is addressed in Galatians 3 and verse 10. It says, all who rely on observing the law. Okay? So there are people who rest in their performance. Believe that one day when I stand before God, the test for whether I have a relationship with Him and have the hope of heaven with Him, the test for that will be, how well did I do in keeping the law of God? Now, those people, I believe, are often sincere. They really believe that if I get on the treadmill of performance and crank out obedience to the law of God, avoid the things that God tells me to avoid, then my relationship with God will be secured as a result of having not been that bad. Okay, does that make sense? And then on the other side, in this text, there's another group of people that are addressed who believe in God. The the individual that's pointed out in Galatians 3, his name is Abraham. He's the father of the Jewish people. He's the man that God called in Genesis chapter 12 and said, I want you to father a nation of people. That nation of people ultimately become the Jews through whom Christ the Messiah comes. Okay, now in Galatians 3 and verse 6, it talks about Abraham, this man who I believe is the second category of people who believe in God. Okay, here's what it says. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Look down at verse 9. So then, those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay, so two kinds of people. One individual believes that I maintain or earn or deserve eternity with God in heaven forever because I have tried to be religious. I have been sincere in that attempt. If you're here this morning, I believe this is a passage of Scripture that will speak to you. And then there are also people like Abraham who believe that only by faith, by trusting in God's provision for me, can I have a personal relationship with Him. All right, if you're in that group of people, my guess this morning is this. You, in terms of the law, experience a deep sense of relief. You know that your eternal destiny is secured by what Jesus Christ did for you and by your faith in God's provision through Christ. What that means is this. Heaven is your home apart from how you live, okay? Which is, in terms of the Bible, the gospel. It is the good news. 
This morning, I want us to look at this text from two perspectives then. I want to look at the news for law keepers, and then I want to look at the good news for those who are lawbreakers. Okay, first of all, the tough news for law keepers. What does this passage say to the person who believes that my relationship with God is earned or secured based upon my performance, how well I'm doing? Okay, so look at the beginning of verse 11 or verse 10. It says, and all who rely on observing the law, that is, they trust in their observance of the law, they trust in their capacity to keep the laws and obey the laws of God. They rest in that for their eternal destiny and for their forgiveness. Okay, what does this text say to that person? All who rely on observing the law, and I understand this is strong, but it's what the text says. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. Well, that's strong, isn't it? You say, wait a minute, Pastor Tim. Is God saying, because I'm not, I'm not giving you my opinion this morning, is God saying that if I try my hardest to be religious, to be a faithful, quote, Christian, and I try to earn a relationship with Him by my performance, are you saying that I am being identified in that passage? Okay, listen to what it says. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. Okay, I think this is pretty clear. Okay, if I believe that I earn a relationship with God by doing the law, what's Paul's conclusion? I miss a relationship with God. I'm under a curse. I am, and in the Old Testament, to be cursed meant this. It didn't mean to be kept outside of the family of God. It meant to be put outside of the camp of God in the Old Testament. To be cursed was to be left outside of the encampment of the true people of God. Well, how do I get there? Well, I get there by not doing all of God's laws, but here's what you're saying in your heart. Yeah, but I am trying sincerely to keep all the laws of God. That is my desire. And I want you to notice what this text says, moving on to the second half of verse 10. He says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So he gets a little more specific, doesn't he? Cursed everyone who relies on observing the law to get to heaven, to have a relationship with God. But then he goes further and says, that tells us why. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to keep everything written in the book of God's law. And that's strong, isn't it? How many of you this morning would say, well, Pastor Tim, I, I keep all of God's laws. Any takers on that statement? Anybody here want to vouch for a perfect mate? Okay, any parents want to vouch for a perfect child? Okay, the answer is, I don't think so. And what does God's word say about that failure to keep the law of God? Here's what it says, very simply. It says that we are kept outside of a relationship with God. And the way we get back inside of that relationship with God is not by trying harder. Okay, if my effort in the past hasn't achieved a relationship with God and I have accumulated more failure, how can I think that more observance of the law is going to bring me into a relationship with God? That's the argument that Paul's making. Now the question that comes to mind is this. Why is that so? Why is that the case? Let me just make a couple of observations from this text. Number one is this. The tough news for law keepers is this. The demands of God's law are comprehensive. Okay, the demands of God's law are comprehensive. Say, Tim, what do you mean by that? What I mean is this. When you hear the idea of the commandments of God, what's the first thing? That, if I said to you, what are the commandments of God? What comes to mind for you? The law of God. What do you start thinking about? 
Right? Ten Commandments. Most people feel that I am made right with God because I keep the Ten Commandments. I have bad news for you, okay? If you go back to the Old Testament and study the, the book, the first five books of the Old Testament, here's what you'll find. There are a total of 613 commandments. Okay, 613. How many of you find that encouraging? Okay, no, it's like, I didn't know that. 613. Okay, most of us are measuring ourselves based on how many? 10, and how many of us really know all 10 of them? Right, but we'll profess it, well, I'm trying, I'm trying. And the question is, is that trying good enough? Okay, and, and I think Paul's conclusion here is fairly clear. Those that try to have a relationship with God by observing the law are under a curse because cursed is everyone who doesn't do everything written in it. The law of God is too comprehensive for an individual to keep it, let alone to remember it. So when I try to keep the law of God, what happens? It continues to point out that I need help. Okay, that I need an assist. In fact, I need more than an assist. I need someone who stands in my place and takes the penalty for my sin. The question, though, that comes to mind is this. Is law-breaking serious? Okay, so there are 613 commandments of God. Okay, none of us in this room keep them. Keep them. One of your responses can be, okay, so what? Does that matter? Is that serious with God? Okay, and I'll share with you two verses. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. So you can, if the person beside you thinks that they achieve righteousness before God, you can say to them, look, God's word is pretty clear on both of us. And that is, none of us are righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23 goes on to say that the wages, or 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Okay, what I deserve, folks, for my sin, and I want to tell you this, I don't stand up here speaking down to you today. Okay, I'm speaking to you on your same level, okay? I don't have a relationship with God because I'm a pastor. I don't have a relationship with God because I'm striving to be a decent dad or striving to be a God-honoring husband. It's not how I have a relationship with God. I don't have a relationship with God because I try to do religious things. Okay, because this text makes it clear. Those who rely on observing the law are under a curse. So the question is, how do we get out from under that curse? Okay, I need to understand that the law of God is so comprehensive that I am unable to keep it. And the consequence for law-breaking, according to this passage, is to be under a curse. Deuteronomy 27, 26 says the same thing. Cursed is everyone who does not keep all the things written in this law. Well, I want to say to God, God, I don't do that. The sincere cry of my heart is, I fall short on my best day. On my best day, my eyes wander. On my best day, my mind wanders off. On my best day, my commitment to God is not all that it should be. And I don't love others and love God as I should. You remember the story in the Gospels, Luke chapter 10, of the, the guy, he's a, he's a lawyer of the law. He's a technical expert in the Old Testament law. He understands the 613. And he understands how they should be obeyed. He comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, I have a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says this. He says, well, what does the law say? How do you read it? How do you read it? He says, well, it says you should love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus looks at him and says, do this and you will live. But then the man has a twinge of guilt. He doesn't say, oh, okay, I do that. He asks Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes on to give a parable, ultimately that points to the fact that this man, though he is an, a, an attempting law keeper, he's an inadequate law keeper. He needs the grace of God. 
Okay, so he's trying to keep the law, but on his best day, he's realizing that I fall short of God's requirement. And there's a consequence for that law breaking, and it is death and separation from God. And by the way, that's what's meant by the curse. To be under a curse means to be outside of the people of God. And I think the last thing that I can assert from this text from the beginning of verse 11 is no one is made right with God. Okay, no one finds perfection with God by trying to keep the law. Look at verse 11. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law. And the next part of the verse goes on to tell you why. Because the righteous live by faith. Okay, no one is declared righteous before God by keeping the law. So what does that mean? If you came here this morning, if you're living your life saying, you know what, I am striving to have a relationship with God, trying to have a relationship with God, and I'm going to get it by what I do, this text is meant to give you relief. Okay, here's what God's saying. Get off the treadmill of performance. Stop trying to earn a place with God. And dear friend, this morning, if you've trusted Christ and you find yourself falling back into this mindset of legalism that says my relationship with God is based on my performance, I want to grant you relief this morning. Your relationship with God, if you have one, is based solely upon what Jesus Christ did for you. And it is validated by his resurrection from the dead. That's it. That's it. The rules you keep in your life don't cause God to love you more or to like you more. He has already made a way and made a provision by which you can escape this deserved curse of the law and the way is not through law keeping. Which raises another question, doesn't it? I mean, here's a logical question. If the law is not the means by which I earn a relationship with God and have His smile, His favor, by which I escape the curse, why did He give it? Why did He give it? Verse 24 of chapter 3 in Galatians. And I hope this, if you're striving to be a law keeper, I hope this text frees you completely. I hope this sets you free from thinking that my relationship with God is based upon how well I do. And you have to ask the question, why did God give the law? Why did he give the 613 prohibitions and commands? Here's what the text says. So the law was put in charge. Now think of that. The law, the demands of God were put there. To lead you to Christ. Okay, the law was put there to lead you to Christ. You see, Tim, how does it work? All right, think about yourself driving down Route 78. And you're going, how fast are you going, Bobby? How fast are you going? 83. Okay, it's an honest man, all right? And then you see the sign, okay? I'm not even going to ask you how you react when you see the sign because I already know if you're going that fast. Okay, you see the sign, and what's the sign say? You're a lawbreaker. Okay, but that doesn't work, right? Then you see a police car. And what do you become? Oh, I'm going to keep the law. Okay, when you go past the police car, you're going the right speed. And you feel okay, right? But what are you really? When I'm going down the road at that, what am I? I'm a lawbreaker. Okay, the purpose of that um, sign is, That law is to show me that I'm out of conformity with the expectation of the established authority. Purpose of the Ten Commandments is what? According to Galatians 3.24, it says, the law was put in charge, was established to lead us to Christ. Christ who? Christ who was born, Christ who died, and who raised again on the third day. The purpose of the law, of all those demands... 613 of them, okay? So here's the encouragement for you. It's not just 10. 
It's 613 in total. That's what God expects. Okay, those laws were put in place so that Tim Hoff would try, try to keep them. And you know what I find when I try to keep the law of God just in relationship to my wife? You know what I find? I find a sinner. I find a self-centered man. I find a man who wants life on his terms, not on God's terms. And that constant reminder of God's directives in relationship to my uh, marriage constantly tells me something. Tim, you need God's grace. You need the forgiveness of Christ. You need the shed blood of Christ to have a relationship with God. And what does Paul say about the law in Galatians 3.24? He says the law was given to point us regularly and habitually to the cross of Christ. Now, let me ask you if this makes sense, okay? The law is given. The law says Tim Hoff is a sinner. When I see my sin, the law also says I'm under a curse. I deserve the judgment of God. How do I escape that? Well, some people say, well, you escape it by performance. The gospel says you escape it through the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Is that not blessed news? That is the, that is the ultimate relief for every sinner in this room. We are all under a curse. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became a curse for us. Now, let me move on to the good news because I don't want to leave you depressed on Easter. Okay? All that try to keep the law are under a curse. All of us tried to keep the law. All of us are under a curse. But the purpose of the law was to show me that I fall short and to point me to the glorious provision of God through His Son Christ. That's the purpose of the law. That's how it functions. Now, I want you to see if that is what this text says verse 13 Christ redeemed us from the curse or judgment separation that the law demands how by becoming a curse for us do you see the exchange do you see the exchange everyone who tries to live by the law is under a curse God's law holds them in sin it calls us what we are and the more I look at the law of God the more I realize oh I fail on that one and I fail on that one and then when I understand the real intention of the law you know the law not to murder what do we all say well, hey I haven't murdered average married person could say hey I haven't committed adultery then you dig into the command and what does Jesus say hey, if you look at a woman to lust you've committed adultery down on that one all right, if you've hated someone, you've violated the command, don't murder. And what do I realize? The more I look at the law and the intent of the law, the more under a curse I am and the more in need of a redeemer I am, I stop looking to myself for salvation because what do I realize? The more I see myself, the more I realize what a needy man I am. But this text tells me that Christ became a curse for us. He saw our debt before a holy God and came to make provision for sinners. Folks, that is the best news I can share with you this morning. That if you're willing this morning to be honest and say, Pastor Tim, when I look at the Ten Commandments, I see myself for who I really am. And you might have come this morning saying, I've seen myself for who I really am for a long time. And I've been on the treadmill trying to get enough righteousness to have the approval of God, to find peace in my heart, and I'm not finding it. Where do I get it? The answer is you get it at the cross of Christ. Where the Son of God stood in your place and became a curse. Folks, listen. He took separation from God for you. And I think it's important you understand this this morning. If you go to John 18, to the evening uh, of what we know as the, as the Lord's Supper, Thursday evening, Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is with his now 11 disciples. And Judas 
and the Roman legion and the religious leaders come into the garden. And Jesus steps out in front of his disciples and engages them in a conversation that goes something like this. Who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. I'm he. Three times. Who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. I am he. Who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. I am he. And then Jesus says this. He says, let these go. Which gives us the clear picture of the cross. He negotiated for the freedom of others by accepting the cross for us. Does that make sense? He negotiated the freedom of others. And the terms of that negotiation were his death. How many of you have been watching the uh, story of this Moresque, Alabama boat that's been uh, captured by the pirates? And the captain is now in a small vessel with the pirates who are holding his life a ransom. Okay, his name is uh, Captain Richard. And when you read the story, there's one little sentence in there that just captured my attention. It says this. It says he asked the 20 men on the crew to get in a locked room knowing the pirates were going to seize the ship. He said, you guys get in that room and I will, through my being taken captive, negotiate your freedom. Okay? That's a leader. And that's what Christ did for us. He negotiated with his life to buy freedom for Tim Hoff. He said, you know what? If I take the hit, you guys go free. It's exactly what he did in the garden. And it's exactly what this passage of Scripture tells me that he did for me. Would you look at verse 13? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do it? He did it by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The evidence that Jesus Christ became the curse of my sin. The evidence that He stood in my place and paid the price that I should pay is that He was hung on a tree. You say, Tim, how do you know that? Because you can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 22. You can check this out this afternoon. I challenge you to do this. Here's what it says. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Deuteronomy 27, 26 says this. Cursed is everyone who does not keep the demands of this law. So what happens? Somebody has to become a curse on the tree so that my curse can be taken away. Folks, is that not what Jesus Christ negotiated in the Garden of Gethsemane? Isn't that what he chose so that you and I could have the opportunity to go free? But here's the question. How do I acquire, how do I receive what Jesus Christ achieved for me? That becomes the question. Do I get it by performance or do I receive it by faith. Now, you can think of it this way. Do I earn it like you earn a paycheck when you go to work? Okay, I go, I do, I get a paycheck back. I don't write thank you notes for my paycheck. All right, how many of you write thank you notes for your paycheck? Okay, we're pretty clear. Everybody pretty clear on this? You get your paycheck, don't write a thank you note. Okay, because you earned it. It's what you deserve. Okay, through my sin, I deserve the curse. But because of his love, Jesus stood in my place and took 
the curse. And here's the way Paul puts it. He said, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing of Abraham, who is what? Is Abraham a performer or a believer? He's a believer, okay? He thinks that if you accept God's terms, then you can have a personal relationship with God by faith. Go back to Galatians 3 and verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was put into his account as righteousness. Who is Abraham? He's a sinner just like you and I. What is he? He's under the law and cursed. But this text tells me that he is the hope of heaven. Why? Because he believed in God's provision he received it by faith. He didn't say, okay, God, I've got to do this and this and this to have your approval. No, no. He believed what God said. And the text says, God put into his account righteousness. Folks, that's what every one of us needs. We need the curse to be borne away, excuse me, by someone else, okay? And we need righteousness placed into our account so that we can stand before a holy God one day and not experience separation from him. You know what the joy of this day is? This is Resurrection Day. So you say, shouldn't you talk about this on Friday? Okay. Here's the power of this day. Jesus said that he was going to die to pay the price for the sins of his people. He told his disciples the verification of his payment as valid would be the resurrection. And on the third day, what did Christ do? He rose from the dead, just as he said. How many of the disciples believed that he would rise from the dead? What do you think? How many believed he would really rise from the dead? None. The ladies went to the tomb, saw the stone rolled away, and thought, oh good, we'll be able to get in and anoint his body with the spices they were bringing for his burial. They didn't expect him to rise from the dead. So the resurrection from the dead becomes the validation that Christ became a curse for us. He literally bore away the price of my sin and validated his work through the resurrection. And I hope that the weight of this text can encourage your heart by realizing these simple truths. Jesus loves you and chose to become a curse for you on the cross. If you look at Galatians 2, I'll just read this passage for you. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, not performance, faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. Folks, that's what he did in the garden. He negotiated our freedom by his death. He became on the cross God forsaken. He became cursed so that you and I could have freedom in Christ. And he put the accent point on his work by his resurrection from the dead, which means if he can conquer death, he can conquer my sin and your sin. So this morning, you say, Pastor Tim, how does this fall out? It comes to this conclusion. Those who believe in, this, who believe in Jesus are made right with God by faith. Can I read this for you from verse 11? Here's what it says. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law. That is, by performance. No one earns salvation. Because it is written in Habakkuk 2, the just will live by faith. Verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that is to all of humanity, through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive what has been promised 
by the Spirit. Okay? So how do I, how do I get out from under the curse? That becomes the question. Because if everyone in this room is a lawbreaker before God, they are under a curse. How do I get out from the curse? This text says, if I trust in the fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross to become a curse for me, and I receive His work on the cross as the payment for my sin, I go free. Alright? That is the promise of the Gospel of Christ. Let me close with this question this morning. Are you a believer or a performer? Okay, do you believe that a relationship with God is found only through the blood of Christ and it is through the blood of Christ that when you receive that by faith, you are delivered and you are given the hope of eternal life? Or do you believe that it's by performance? Because if you believe it's by performance, here's all I'm going to do. I'm going to commend you to God and to His Word. I'm going to ask you to go read that passage of Scripture and ask God to show you the truth of your heart, to show you the truth of what Christ has done for you. And here's what I'll pray that God will do. That by His Spirit, He would so get a hold of your heart today that He would convince you that, you know what, there's 613 and you didn't even know that. You didn't even know it. But now you know. And there's 10 that you already know that you can't keep. And that God by His Spirit would cry out into your heart and say, look, sinner friend, for whom my son died, would you come to simple faith in Christ? Would you believe that Jesus hung on the cross as a curse for you and receive his gift of salvation free? Free. No performance. Just leave all your good works and baggage at the door. And by faith, grab the knob and open the door as the Spirit of God cries out to you. and Open the door and say, God, I believe. I'm a sinner. I believe your son became a curse for me. I believe your son negotiated his life for my life so that I could be forgiven. Folks, if you do that, here's what's going to happen. You can turn off the treadmill. You can stop trying. And you can simply believe and receive what Jesus Christ freely did for you by grace on the cross. They say, Pastor Tim, that sounds too simple. I think Jesus said something like this. Unless you come with the faith of a child... You can't enter the kingdom of God. We get it so complicated, don't we? We add so much, all our religious things that we do and ways that we act and react to things. We add all these things in and God's saying, you know what? I gave my son so that you could receive what you need, not earn what you need. Because you don't deserve what you need. I give it as a gift. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?